All right, so today we are back in our Property Limb Brothers studio and welcome to our next episode of So Far So Good, the Property Limb Brothers podcast. And today I'm with uh, Adrian Lim, my brother Lim, and uh, Property Limb Brothers. And welcome to our studio. Too. And we have a very special guest today. And uh, we have uh, Eugene Su with us. And before I get Eugene to introduce himself a little bit, and then we kickstart this um, uh, session to, to talk a little bit about estate planning and as well as the, the property market and stuff like that. Let me just give you a brief of um, some of the things that Eugene has uh, done and accomplished. And so Eugene is a member of the Society of Will Writers and he has been in the financial industry for almost a decade. And uh, guess what? In his first year of his career, he was awarded the prestigious Million Dollar Roundtable among other form of accolades. And currently, Eugene is an expert uh, beyond financial consulting, he now specializes in estate planning uh, in the form of wills and legacy uh, in order to meet the needs of his higher net worth clientele. And uh, also he's a regular contributor to media. He writes a lot to local publications and has been interviewed a couple of times on Mediacorp, uh, Channel U, on Money, on Money Week um, and on radio talk show like 93.8 Live Money Wise. And uh, he's also a frequent speaker at the Financial and Estate Planning Seminar uh, where he shares his knowledge with the audience on estate planning and uh, also with a lot of different corporate uh, companies and uh, insurance companies as well. So till date, he has established close to 150 family trusts and um, he strongly believes in creating a blueprint to secure your legacy for your loved ones. And he's also an author of his book. Uh, and what's the name of her book, Eugene? Uh, the book is Legacy of Love. Legacy of Love. All right, great. And uh, Eugene, why don't you share with our audience a little bit uh, on um, what you do currently, just to give you an update uh, apart from what we have just introduced you. Wow, thank you, Melvin, for the warm introduction. Um, and thank you, Adrian, for being uh, here with me. Welcome, Eugene. Um, I mean, I've been uh, pretty busy lately in uh, basically meeting families, meeting uh, the super higher net worth, the mass affluent to do up their estate planning, to make sure that you know, the, the wealth that they have assumed and they have amassed can be passed down to the next generation. Right. Uh, so yeah, this year has been pretty uh, great so far for Q1. Right, uh, right. More and more people starting to find out more about uh, such services. Right. And uh, yeah, so that's one pretty much what I've been doing. Right. So um, over the past couple of years, you have been uh, mainly specializing in estate planning and um, sharing your expertise with the market and yep. uh, helping your clients, I assume. Yeah. So, so actually, uh, I started off in the financial industry. Right. So I had a brief background. And in a couple of years, I worked very hard. Right. And uh, thankfully, you know, managed to achieve certain kind of credentials from that. Mm. But as time passes, uh, so start to realize that uh, our clients basically need more help in terms of distribution of their wealth. Right. So that's where um, I was at a, a, a gridlock where I needed to help them. Right. But yet, at the same time, there was actually a, a shortage of such services in the market. Right. So that was where I began to roll up my sleeves and go and study, research, and uh, met lots of people. Right. And uh, yeah, so fast forward to today, I'm still happily doing that. Right, right. So um, Eugene has been, um, has been a, a close friend and um, also we have seen him uh, grow his business over the years. So maybe just a brief backdrop, Eugene. So probably... Um, we, we want to start off with, you know, when you first started out in the financial planning industry. I mean, how old were you back then? 
Wow, that was like yesterday. Um, I, I actually <laughs> started about right. close to 12, 13 years ago. Right. When I, uh, I mean, but amazingly, I, I started in my final year you know, when I was doing my grad studies. Right. So I still remember I interned at this company and uh, I was there listening to how they pitch to the, the young graduates. Right. So I was particularly, when I was seated there, I was like, wow, you know, I'm just going to do this because it seems like something that I can do. Right. And uh, I mean, sales. So I began to join them even before I graduate, you know, being the typical Singaporean. Right. I was right. thinking that if all else fails, you know, in sales, we always say, what's the plan B? Mm. So if all else fails, when I graduate, I would have still a, a, a degree. Right. right. So I began to uh, kickstart my, uh, my business, right. my financial planning business uh, in year three. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, how, and how long was the degree? Was it a three or four year degree? My degree was a three-year degree. Right. So in the third year, you actually already started while you're studying the final year. Yeah, that's right. Right, right. And um, at that time, when you started off in the financial planning industry, what were some of the key challenges as a very young uh, professional coming into to the market? What are some of the key challenges that you face? Well, I've actually put that aside, but uh, <laughs> it's good to remind me of those because that really motivates me as I wake up every day. Right. right. Uh, I mean, I, I still remember, you know, in the final year, I was a nobody because uh, I didn't have any credentials. Right. Uh, I mean, of course, not to speak about experience. Right. And certainly, I didn't have a network. Right. You know, these are the three primary ingredients when you talk about business. Right. Uh, especially if you are a startup and you, you really need to get things move, moving fast. Mm. So what I was uh, really, really focused on back then was, of course, my own network of friends. Mm. Uh, but more than that, I began to ask myself, like, you know, if I want to really gain their trust, right. uh, I need to be able to first establish myself confidently right. in front of this person. Right. So that's where I started to find out more about how to speak confidently, mm. how to be confident even though you are not there yet, right. how to think like you are there, you are right. a successful <laughs> entrepreneur. Right. And I guess that, you know, um, that really helped me a lot because when uh, my friends and their referrals saw me, right. uh, they, they were comfortable. I mean, thank God, you know, they were comfortable in my approach. Right. right. And, you know, one thing at a time, and that led me, um, you know, more things came along mm. and I started to build based on what I had. Right. Uh, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And um, for estate planning, right, how many years already have you, have you, um, you know, ran that estate planning kind of, um, business and then how, how many years have you been serving your clients in this arena? Um, it's close to 10 years right. in, in estate planning. Right. So um, why do you think like, um, you know, like maybe you can share also with our audience like what uh, is the relationship of estate planning? Uh, because uh, Eugene is also a property uh, investor as well. Right. He, he owns uh, properties and um, why do you think estate planning is a very key important factor uh, in the journey of somebody that is uh, owning, whether it's the one or two properties or maybe more, and um, how how do you see it? Or maybe you can just explain in a in a generic term, like what is estate planning all about? Well, estate planning involves a main part of it in in properties, right? Right. I mean, the main reason is because properties form a huge part of our balance sheet. Right. So whenever I meet clients and they are ready, you know, to whether it's their will, their trust, or whatever distribution, uh, one common headache or one common uh, gridlock would always be what is to be done to the property. Right. 
So when, when the clients are alive, of course, they will be staying in, the, they'll be residing and they gain the full ownership. But when something happens to them, the big question is that who will inherit the property? Right, right. So, um, yeah, so most of the time is spent in discussing how would their next line, their offsprings will come in to inherit the property, to make use uh, as a property, either investment or whether as a shelter. So these are the common questions that part of estate planning uh, that ties in intertwined with uh, property investing. Right. right yeah. So yeah, Eugene, how do your high net worth our clients uh, use um, property as a vehicle for estate planning? Well, I guess, um, I, I guess because based on the cases that I've seen in Asia, uh, particularly, we can't avoid properties. Mm. So right. you, you, can, you can invest in whatever instruments you have based on your preference, your risk tolerance, but property here in Singapore and in the region is something that we can't escape from. Right, because we, we just, I mean, we as uh, Asians, property is also, it's not just a, a shelter over our heads. Uh, I mean, it's also a form of uh, asset. Exactly. Uh, preservation plus, uh, I think it's, it's something that everybody will hope to own the moment that they, they start out in the professional world. Right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, I mean, so the question about how, you know, how clients actually relate to the properties would be, uh, they, they would want pretty much to hand down properties over to the next of kin. Right. But the, the big question is that how? Right. Yeah. So, in fact, they would want their loved ones to keep their properties as a sentimental value mm. and to use it for shelter, for dividends, uh, and not to sell them. Right. I see. Yeah. Right. right. So it's, it's more for people who wants to create that, that kind of legacy on the property that they own and um, to, to have something that's already pre-planned, right? So uh, usually based on your experience, what is the age um, group of people that will actually start to do estate planning? Um, like what, what is the range and the median age that you see, I mean, across your, your 10 years of experience? Well, that's a very interesting question, Melvin, because right. um, I mean, it shifts from, uh, I mean, 10 years ago till now, right. everything has shifted. Right. Uh, in the beginning, when I first started, that was like, you know, nine years back. Uh, of course, I would go for, I mean, I have more clients coming in where they are in their 50s and their 60s. Right. Uh, but in today's context, I can see anyone from the age of like late 20s. Late 20s, all right. Late 20s. Uh, right. Yeah. And uh, all the way up to like in their 70s, even in their 80s. Right, yeah. right. So, so it's a it's a huge uh different array of of age band wave yeah. that you've seen. But usually, is it mostly when people start to enter into their forties or fifties that they will start to be more serious about this? Like, um, what is what is the highest percentage that you have seen? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a broad range, but mm. if there's one particular segment, uh, it will always be between either the early forties, uh, or probably in the sixties. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um. How about yourself? I mean, what, what do you recommend? I mean, in terms of like people who is intending to do will and estate planning, right? What will be the right uh, moment to start planning ahead? The best moment, the right moment to plan ahead. Yeah. Um, I guess it would be, it's a moving target. Mm. So planning for estate planning is always moving. It's always changing because mm. every day is different by itself. Right. So um, the best time to plan will always be today. Right. Or yesterday, you know, right. more exact. But you you review mm. and you make changes to that on a daily or on a quarterly basis. Right. And that would be the most up to date plan. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So I, I think we also um 
is we are very interested to know like uh, as a business owner and then as a specialist in the financial planning plus estate planning industry, um, how do you see uh, property you know as a form of investment personally uh, for yourself? And uh, yeah, maybe Adrian can can ask Eugene some some of these questions. Yeah, so uh, being a property uh, investor yourself, so uh, what are the key considerations um, uh, when it comes to property purchase, be it uh, for investment or for own stay? Well, I, I will not classify myself as an expert or, you know, a very, uh, <laughs> yeah, but um, based on the experience that I have and of course with my clients due to my work, right? Um, I think the factors would definitely be, I mean, the factors to consider, uh, if it's for own stay, of course, the standard stuff, you mm. guys probably know. Mm. Right, know, like, right. Based yeah. on your personal needs and, and stuff. Yeah, right. for more practical reasons. But right. for, for investment point of view, I basically think that, uh, you know, whether it's local, it's global, uh, it should be something that you are familiar with, mm. something that you are certain, even if you don't revisit in the next one to two years, nothing much will change. Right. So you've got to be close to that investment to be able to react accordingly. Right. Um, but of course, other factors to me, investment would be something that um, I know, for example, the needs of the people, the market trends. Right. So take, for example, like lately, I was just asking around and uh, I have a client who who is willing to pass down a very a beautiful home, you know, to uh, his children. Right. So he was just saying that, well, you know, this property is worth more than ten mil. Right. And who wouldn't want to stay in such a property? Right. right. Then uh, I was just asking him a question casually. I said, right. Do you know that most of the places right now they have uh, integrated, you know, like integrated with a shopping mall? Right. It's more convenient. Right. And right. Uh, they may be smaller, but it's right. definitely trendy. Uh, you, do you think your children will want to stay there instead of where you are living behind? Mm. And then the client starts to think about it and say, oh yeah, you are right. I don't think my daughter will want to stay here right. compared to where her friends are living, you know, in right. the heartland and all that. So yeah, so factors to consider will primarily be based on market trends. Mm. What is something that the next generation would, would like or even particularly for myself? Right. Uh, do I like to stay here? Right. Uh, not just the location, but the style Right. Whether there are malls nearby. Right, right. Like so um uh based on what I hear, Eugene, is that your your personal preference will be uh whether is it for own stay or is it for investment property, you usually will want to foresee like what will be the, the future preference of the future target audience. Yeah. I mean in the event if you do want to exit from the property, you want to make sure like there is like a ready target audience that yeah. will will like the property as well. Yeah. you know buy from resale market right so i mean personally um for your own properties i mean do you have any like a specific ranking in terms of uh, some of the factors that you will definitely want to have when you select a property i mean some people they say that you know i, I definitely want to have a freehold property you know or some people they don't mind a nine nine years if let's say is very close to uh, integrated development or more and mm. stuff like that so what are probably like some of the two three factors that is a definitely um, must take off from your checkbox before you, you actually will buy a property? Well, I must admit that I'm a, I'm a pretty lazy investor. Right. So <laughs> I, I do not like to read and overread. Right, right. How, define a lazy yeah. investor. <laughs> yeah, nice. meaning so I would not want to like at least wake up or maybe, you know, every Sunday morning I have to flip up the papers and review my investment. Right. So, so in, in with respect to property, I am a I'm an east person, right? So right. So you talk about location, talk about the direction and all that. 
uh, I feel more comfortable with my, my investment, the property Buying is the in, east. The, in the east. Right, right. Because I am more familiar. You see, every time I go shopping and I go purchase some groceries or, or whatsoever, right. I would go to a mall in the east. So I would right. be able to see what are the latest developments, right. uh, whether is it crowded. Right. Yeah. So these are the things that will give me a sense of uh, security that I know my investments are doing well. Okay. All right. But if it's in a west, you know, like for example, uh, right. very far away place, I, I probably will only go there once every two, three years. Right. So I will not be kept up to date. So that's my definition of being lazy. Right, right. So something that you're familiar with yeah. and then that you can review it um, on a very normal approach that you can, can get to see and, and feel and touch yeah. based on the surroundings. Right, okay, great. And um, how about um, like over this, this past 10 years, right, in terms of uh, coming back to the topic of estate planning, what are probably, um, is, there, is there a particular um, scenario that you have seen and experienced before? I mean, uh, of course, of course we, we understand the importance of confidentiality, but maybe just a, a, a case study that you think um, has ascertained yourself to, to really uh, be a deep believer of, of doing estate and will planning. Like, what are some of the case studies that you have seen that you, you just feel that is really that so important and then you always share with your clients on, on these this few scenarios? Right, right. Okay, so... Um, okay, the closest that I can really recall right. and to share with the audience is that... Um, there is this client who, who, well, he has properties. Right. Um, and he has like lots of shop houses renting out. Mm. Um, and of course, he has his children, his wife. Right. So the question that I posed to him was that, you know, should something happen? Because right. in asset planning, we talk about that all the time. Should right. something happen? Right. Um, so, you know, what is your plan B? Who mm. would take charge of all, all these assets? Right. So, um, he began to think for a long while. Mm. And uh, after coming back to me, he, he, he asked me this, you know, gave me this answer. He said, Eugene, I don't have an answer for that. Can right. you tell me what do people do? Right. So, um, of course, I didn't answer him uh, outrightly, but right. I was just telling him that uh, the best way is to really ask the beneficiaries, do they want to continue the portfolio? Mm. Or... Do they want to receive liquid cash? Right. Um, because, you know, everything is in his sole name right now. Okay. The moment where he passes on and he passes down to the next generation, all of them will become co-owners. Okay. And, you know, they have to decide uh, unanimously, uh, which can be a, a, a task, tricky, a tricky issue. Tricky yeah? issue, right. Right. So, um, what usually happens... Um, when somebody don't do um, so-called like will or estate planning for probably let's say if a, if a person owns like a two or three property kind of portfolio, uh, what's going to happen um, based on the laws in Singapore? Like if they don't do a will planning on these properties, usually what is the flow um, of inheritance? Okay. Right. So, I mean, thankfully we're in Singapore. There's mm -hmm. a default uh, ISA. We call that the Interstate Succession Act. Right. That uh, that will apply immediately, right? So the the rights of the property and the rest of the assets will go to your family members, your children, fifty, your wife, fifty depends on which hierarchy. Right. Um, but when you do that, there are a lot of complications. Right. Uh, because you have minors, which are children. 
right. uh, estate, and you, you even have individuals who already probably have their own HDBs. Right. And here they are, they need to inherit a private property. Um, you know, so there are a lot of questions that will surface. And in the past, um, most people wouldn't want to dive in into all these kind of complications and they would say sensitive and yeah, right. So I'll just leave it to my um, you know, my children or my brother in law right. to decide. But uh, more often than not now, you know, when you flip open the papers, there are so many, so many court cases that talk about Simple stuff. Right. Disputes and all that. Yeah. Right. So, so even uh, just a couple of months ago, you know, there was a judgment that passed. Both siblings took over uh, a property right. from their deceased dad. But right. they went to court just because one of the siblings brought in a, a golden retriever. Oh. A dog. Okay. Yeah. So Into the property. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they were arguing and, you know, so such things happen. Right. Yeah. Right. And then they want to sell the property and stuff. They they are both co-owners. Right. And they are suing each other because they feel that they don't have the rights to decide whether a dog can be allowed. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> right, right. So so usually uh, I mean for this type of situation, um how do people plan? I mean like people with two or three properties, do they normally plan uh for one property to go to one child or um, what is the, the common arrangement or what is the the recommended arrangement? Is it based on percentage or is it based on per property to each child so that uh, it's more clean cut and stuff like that? Yeah, usually, I mean, every client is different. Right. Um, usually, I will propose them, if they can, to, mm. to make sure that each child gets uh, a property each. Right. So never ever split the inheritance uh, in terms of the property. In the same property. Yeah, right. that's Because right. that's where conflict comes up. Exactly. Right. Uh, but of course, there will be certain checklists that the client will go through. Right. Uh, I mean, if their children are of age or their beneficiaries are of age, then one of the common things is to really sit them down and say, you know, if something happens, uh, do you want a property? If not, you know, you want cash? Right. Yeah. Right. So it's always good to consult the beneficiary to get some insights. Right, right, right. To but have a conversation, I mean, so that it's easier for your planning and stuff. Yeah. Right. But of course, if that information is not available, that for some reason the children are too young or he wants to keep it like a close secret to the beneficiary, which I could understand why. Right. Uh, then the most obvious reasons would be to really think, you know, based on the best case scenario, right. how can you split? Maybe, for example, one of the beneficiaries will inherit right. the cash. And the investments right. of equal amount, right? You know, right. Great. I think I think that's great information. And uh, before we, we talk a little bit more about property questions from Adrian, right? Because today Adrian is in charge of all the property yeah. questions <laughs> for Eugene. And um, um, sometimes um, we do have, I mean, uh, clients of um, uh, so called the the uh, we do we do have Muslim clients as well mm. that will ask us on advice on particularly on this area. Yeah. Um, are you able to share with us a little bit on how does uh, estate planning works for, for Muslim clients? And because I believe um, the default rule is uh, the, the Interstate uh, Succession Act, yeah. right? But for Muslim, it will be under the Sharia law, yeah. right? So uh, are you able to share a little bit about, about that part? Like usually how do you advise Muslim clients on, on estate planning? Okay, um, pretty much for Muslim clients, you're right in saying that they right. are subjected under the Sharia law. Right. So um, the, the way how they plan is it, the same. You right. know, nothing changes. Right. 
The only difference is that if they don't, if they choose not to do anything about it, right, then there's a more elaborated law that will step in, right, to dictate how the assets will be flowing, right, right. And uh, more often than not, I mean, we are in the 21st century. Most mm. clients they are not very comfortable uh, with those laws because right. maybe times have changed, but the laws have not changed, right, right. So um, to answer that question, the the asset planning process and the considerations are the same, right. Um, it's just that if they don't do that, there will be more consequence mm. uh, to... Going back to the default yeah. laws. Right. Okay. So do you see an increased amount of uh, Muslim clientele coming to you over the years like uh, on, on this, on this uh, part? Yeah. By and large, uh, I, I would not say a, a drastic increase, but mm. uh, there are a couple more clients asking. Right. Yeah. And that's where, you know, we work with uh, Muslim lawyers who are focusing on this area. Right. Uh, so after we dictate, you know, how you want to plan, we just pass on to them. Right. Then you will draft in accordance to uh, the requirement. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Yeah, so probably, uh, Adrian, ask a little bit more <laughs> property questions. Sure, yeah. Adrian. So uh, how do you see the uh, property market uh, in the short to uh, midterm? Well, that's a question that I, I've prepared to ask you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, in my, my personal opinion, I think uh, the volatility is here to stay, mm. uh, not just regards to property, but uh, in all aspects of investments. Right. And, uh, you know, we are living in a very uncertain, volatile period era right, right now. Right. But, so short to midterm, definitely there will be uh, lots of volatility. Right. Um, but I would say that, you know, in Singapore, where home ownership is, is very high, very high, right. um, we, we are less sensitive to the global, uh, you know, changes. Mm. So home ownership and, you know, people need to get a home. When they get married, they need to get a home. Right. Uh, and of course, after the, the property, you know, appreciates the five-year MOP, they would need a bigger place. Right. Because I went through the process that I need a bigger place when you have kids. Right. So I think these are the very strong core pillars of home ownership mm. uh, that will build stability into the local market. Right. Um, and of course, uh, that's short to long, uh, short to mid term. Um, of course, mid to long term, then it will really uh, be dependent on the stability in Singapore, right? Uh, amongst the neighboring countries, right? Which uh, I mean, I'm still positive, right? Yeah, that's yeah. great, right? Yeah. So I mean, we've also shared in some of our investors and our R series on on YouTube. Um, is that you know Singapore is really different now compared to you know 14 years back when we started in the real estate market because. Now we have seen like, you know, seven to eight rounds of cooling measures already being priced into the current market. So um, we believe that and based on what we have seen over the past years is that uh, this has then became like a, a stability kind of pillar in, mm. in, the, in the pricing uh, index itself. And, and uh, yes, we totally agree with Eugene, like Singapore has such a high level of ownership uh, in terms of home. I mean, people have, people have kids, um, they live near to their workplace, they live near to their parents. So, um, and I think one thing that is great is the government has also came out with the LTV of 25%, uh, ABSD, seller stamp duty. All these uh, pillars have stabilized the market, although now it is a little bit harder to invest in additional re residential properties. But I think over the long run, even if there's going to be any form of like short-term um, uh, so-called pressure coming from the global market, I mean, the government can then tweak or release these cooling measures just to stabilize the market back again. Yes, indeed. Right. So, yeah. Um, Adrian, any, any other property questions for Eugene? 
Um, maybe for our audience, uh, would you like to share about uh, your portfolio uh, with us? Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, is that, is that sensitive? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, you don't have to tell us the address and the unit number. Like, so just yeah, usually, like you know, uh, what kind of properties are you interested in? Like, roughly, what have you bought and stuff? Yeah, uh, I, I'm a very practical person, so um, the places that I have uh, generally would be the places that I used to stay. Right. Uh, you know, I mentioned about upgrading and all that. So right. whenever we upgrade, we, I mean, for myself, I would choose to hold a place. Right. Um, well call it sentimental or call it some other reasons, but we just choose to see, hey, you know, do we have the ability to buy another place yet right. uh, retaining the old place? Right. So inevitably, those have become, became my portfolio. Right. And of course, uh, in a commercial space, I'm not like an avid investor, but it is really for practical reasons. Right. Uh, right. You know, right. it, in Singapore, uh, places that you, you need to use, it's better off to, to buy it than to rent. Right. Know, this is like the old school theory that my parents taught me. Right, True. right. So you, so you buy your own office as well. Um, yeah. So, right. so some of them, you know, we, we try to have a stake, uh, rather than we, we rent. But of course, some we rent because in Singapore, right, right, rent is expensive. Yeah, rent is expensive. Right. So, am I right to say that you have never ever sold a property before in your life? <laughs> um, <laughs> because you you buy and hold. Kind, yeah, kind, kind of. Not right. yet. Not yet. Right, yeah. right. Oh, so you haven't sold any properties from us yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, uh, Eugene is having a buy and hold kind of, uh, strategy. I mean, of course, we have clients. We have a lot of clients who who buy and then, um, if uh, as they do better in their professional work life in business, they hold and then they rent out. Uh, which is a good long term strategy yeah. and. Um, yeah, so coming back to uh, a little bit more about um, how you run your business as mm-hmm. well. Um, I think uh, because you started off uh, as, a, as an entrepreneur in, in the financial planning field, as a professional. So um, have you ever, ever worked for somebody before, like as, a, as an employed person? Uh, well, I, I did tons of uh, part-time jobs. Right. Yes. Uh, I don't know whether it's included. Right, right. Uh, but not in a real full time uh, employment. Right. Uh, yeah. So, but pretty much a lot of different part time positions. Yeah. yeah. I still remember the uh, one of my very first part time work was with Eugene when we were yeah. like sec <laughs> one or sec two. Oh, that's pretty young. So, <laughs> we went to this shopping center called Upper Serangoon Shopping Center. Oh, I know the place. And then we, we saw a vendor that sells a lot of uh, Christmas cards and yeah, Chinese yeah. dinner cards. And then we told the uncle, hey, uncle, can we buy in bulk from you? And then we want to sell it. And so the uncle sold us in bulk and then gave us that, um, what is that? Uh? that there, there was a machine for you to, to key yeah. in the price tag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And that was our first door knocking experience. And then we went to the neighborhood in, in the whole uh, Haogang area and then we start door knocking and then we sell to the families and stuff. So that was our very first sales experience last time. Wow. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so uh, of course Eugene, I think he has done tons of part-time work when he was young and probably that's why he, he uh, has went on to uh, the sales profession in financial planning as well. Yeah. So uh, maybe Eugene, can you, can you share with us like uh, what are some of um, your, your personal um, uh, so-called like uh, habits in terms of productivity, you know, as especially as a business owner over the past 10 over years, what are probably two to three things that you always strongly hold on to in, in order to have a massive production uh, in terms of your personal productivity, 
your own discipline to run your business and stuff like that? Okay, um, I, I try to take this question. Right. Well, um, you know, back the days where you reminded me about uh, how we sold uh, greeting cards right. door to door, and and now I remember that uh, Melvin also introduced me to this business to sell uh, Vitagen or Yakult. <laughs> Uh, and it's an amazing, amazing <laughs> business with uh, back then. Okay, quite well, I, high. I, I actually I, I don't remember that, but now that you say that, I I think I remember it because um just a backstory. How I began selling Vitagen was because I wanted. No, it all started because we we saw one of our friends having this like new Pentium computer PC. <laughs> it was playing like FIFA ninety six, and then I saw like wow, the game is so great. So I told my dad, I said I want to buy my first PC, and then he said that okay. You only sponsor me five hundred dollars. The rest of the two thousand five hundred dollars I have to pay by installment. So I say I will work as a Vitagen delivery boy <laughs> for two years to pay that installment every wow. month. Yeah, wow. and then I think Eugene saw it, and then he says, "Hey, can you introduce me the vendor?" So I introduced him, <laughs> the Vitagen manager. Yeah. So how how long do you did distribute Vitagen? Do you remember? Um, we. I do. I did probably about a year. Right. Uh, door knocking. I mean, there are some regular customers, and you know, we went door knocking to buy more. Supply and to sell more, right? Um, but you know now, now after so many years, if you ask me, like, what is it that really you know keeps me motivated in business? And I think the foundation uh, goes all a long way back to where we first started, right? I mean, first of all, you know, for me to get uh, click up with uh, Melvin back in sec one, that's thirteen years old, right? Um, I believe you need to be attracted to the right people. Mm. Um, because the topics that you speak, the motivation that you give, uh, the ideas that you have, uh, right. they all revolve around the people. Right. So for me, I I like. I mean, I can, I can uh, be upset. I can be down, but I cannot hang around with negative people. Right. Right. So that is my number one, uh, you know, pet peeve that I cannot stand. Right. right. I will exit the room. I will find. Other reasons to get out, right? Um, yeah, so that's one to get around uh, healthy people, right? Uh, regardless of how the business sentiment is, mm. uh, there's always you know we always talk about how you find opportunities in crisis, right? Um, you need to get around these people, right? right. Then uh, of course, in summary, my the next thing that I uh, really really focus on a lot is uh, about managing yourself as a person because. You know, sometimes when you are very driven, you mm. tend to overlook the uh, who you are, and you tend to um, go beyond what you can do. Right. Uh, that's where over aggress- uh, aggression comes in. Right. So for me, I try to maintain a balance in my life. Right. So I mean, of course, being in business, but beyond that, I I have uh, time for my like. For example, I'm very heavily involved uh, in my church. Right. And uh, my family. Uh, and of course, in business. So, so because of that, you know, um, every part of me uh, needs to operate at a, a high capacity. Right. Uh, so I choose not to let myself do nothing because uh, when you do nothing, your mind is empty. Mm. Uh, that's where laziness steps in. Right. Yeah. So I guess at the end of the day, when you when I plan, like for example, this this season or this life, uh, this year, mm. um, it's important to first. Like goal setting, ask yourself what are the things that you want to do and you want to accomplish, right. and then you start to fit into your schedule and you have a game plan. Say, okay, I will go out and I'll do that. 
and then you have no space and no opportunity for laziness to come in. Right. And and that I believe is where uh, focus uh, comes in as a byproduct. Right. Right. Yeah. So to to sum it up, like the two or three things that uh, you believe in. Number one is of course to uh, to be positive, and then to to choose the right friends and the yeah. right right people to to surround yourself with and um, always coming from a, a solution-based approach yeah. rather than dwelling on, on the problems and being negative and stuff. And number two is really being uh, focused to operate on very high capacity and um, plus to, to have advanced planning on the year ahead. What do you want to accomplish as a business person and stuff like that, right? So, yeah. um, so, so going to this topic, I think very interestingly is that now since we're in March 2020, what are some of the, the goals that you have for your business uh, for, for the year ahead? I mean, for the next nine months. Um, well, um, that's, that's good because uh, now it's in March. So I am still on track. Right. Uh, so the things that I plan to do this year would be really to fight for more time. Right. Um, yeah, to, to be able to operate at a high capacity, but yet to carve up more time. Right. So, of course, the, this is an important important thing that everybody wants but the question is how right right so um of course it's to outsource outsource the things that i can uh, do but i don't need to do it other people can do it right so outsource to the, the task to people and uh, of course that means that i have to train more right so uh i've been trying to train up people and to outsource to look for partners right um so so these are some of the things that i've been trying to do uh so my 2020 goal is to be have to have more time right. compared to my 2019, 2018. Right. But yet, uh, the results have to progress. Right, right, yeah. right. So it's, it's really at your current capacity, how do you train up more people that runs alongside with you and yeah. to, to scale up the business? Yeah. Right, right. So Adrian, are there any other questions for, for Eugene? Um, I think, yeah, that's, uh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so um, actually I have, I have just... Um, couple of one, one to two questions, right, for Eugene is that, um, I mean, um, as, as, as a business owner for the past 12 to 13 years, we've talked about, you know, your productivity, we've talked about your property investment journey, and at the same time, being an expert in your field, right? Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes, I mean, in the real estate market, we, we also, uh, I mean, we also train our own agents, we also train our own salespeople, and uh, we are we're advocates of being, um, going into very deep into a specific field that mm. you are you are doing just yeah. like um, being a surgeon in you know in the medical field we want to specialize so um, based on what we have seen you done is that we, we find that you you have really like became an expert in estate mm. planning in this field so do you believe in specialization right right um, yeah definitely I think um, I think to this context um, you need to know not just one thing, you need to know a couple of things. Right. But yet at the same time, you need to know where are you specializing. Right. So, um, specialization is something that I, I epouse and I strongly advocate. Right. Um, because that is what you breathe. That is what, you know, when people identify you, they identify who you are. Mm, your they niche market. Yeah, they don't identify you as being, okay, you can do A, B, C, D, E but they identify you that you are an expert in E or D. Right. And, you know, if I need something, I will definitely go for you. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah. And what would be your advice, uh, especially for young entrepreneurs, you know, whether 
they're coming into the sales profession or they're coming into the, the wealth management profession, like what will be probably just want to do advice for young people, you know, whether in their early 20s or maybe they're doing a mid-career switch, right? Like uh, what is your advice to them uh, in terms of coming into this field? What kind of mindset do they need to have? Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, apart from what I just shared earlier, that two points, mm. um, my last take would be stay hungry mm. and uh, don't be complacent when you do well. Right. That's a very good point. Yeah. Right. So one thing that I normally do is that, I mean, we are all humans. Right. So sometimes we can be over complacent. Right. We can be enjoying. Over um, the top. And, yeah. Over right. the top. You know, like what you mentioned. So I, I will always have this meter gauge in me and I'll say, am I still hungry? You know, like to learn I first started. Right. Yeah. And you know, somehow, how do you know that you have that? Is that when there are things to learn, there are things to explore, there are new ideas, somehow, no matter how tired you are, you just get up and you want to share with somebody. Normally, I share it with my wife. Right. And she will know that I am ready. Right. Uh, yeah. So this is how you know more about yourself. Right. What keeps you going. Right. Right. Thanks. Thank you, Eugene. And uh, before we end off, maybe just one final uh, tip for our audience uh, with regards to estate planning. You know, what will be your advice to especially our audience who have already owned one, two or three properties? Like um, why, um, why do you think estate planning is, is a very crucial planning tool? And then uh, where can they get information? You know, what is your website and stuff like that? And how do, we, how do they reach out to you? Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I always say this. Asset planning is never uh, done for yourself, but for your loved ones. Right. So it's not whether you need it or not, but it's a question whether you have loved ones uh, that you are leaving behind for. Right. And uh, I mean, if you want to read up more, I do write uh, uh, routine articles and you can check that out. Uh, on my Facebook uh, or on my website it's called Securing Generations Securing, Securing Generations, Generations right. that's so, right so your website is securinggenerations.com.sg that's right alright great so head on to Eugene's website you can also look for him on LinkedIn just key in uh, Eugene Su you'll, you'll be able to see his yeah. uh, experience in this field plus a lot of the articles that he wrote he actually posted up on, on his LinkedIn platform as well as well as his Facebook and, and website so uh, we're very honored and happy to have Eugene Su with us today. Thank you. Right. And Thank to you, chat Jean. about, you know, his business journey, leadership as a young entrepreneur until today as an expert in the estate planning arena. And also uh, very glad for him to spend his precious time with us this afternoon right here at the Property you, Studio. All right. Yep. So uh, I think it's a, it's a wrap up. So usually when we wrap up, we just wave to the camera. And then, okay. <laughs> all right. So we'll, we'll end off. Thank you very much. See you guys. Bye. See you.